Welcome to Fertile Minds Radio. Here you'll find wisdom for your fertility journey and beyond, chosen specifically to help you trust your body and elevate your spirit so you can enjoy the process. Join us and see what a fertile mind feels like. Now your host, Hilary Talbot Rowland. Hello and welcome to another installment of Fertile Minds Radio. I'm your host, Hilary Talbot Rowland, acupuncturist, herbalist, meditation teacher, in love with all things conception and birth. And today I have a very special guest. As I promised you in the introduction, this was going to cover more than just fertility in this podcast. We're going to talk about pregnancy and birth. And don't worry if you're not there yet, if you haven't even conceived and your mind is saying right now, like, how can I possibly go put the cart before the horse? It's never too early to start empowering yourself about your birth and picturing yourself through your pregnancy and having a healthy birth. So I do want you to stay on and listen, even if you're not pregnant, because I feel like this is going to be helpful information for you later and maybe even helpful information for your friends or your sisters um, or your coworkers. You never know what you're going to hear on here. So let's get started. My guest today is Dawn Herring. Uh, She is a beautiful woman here in St. Pete. She is the wife and mama of two toddlers now. Uh, They are three and a half and four and a half. Um, And she is a Happy Birthway certified childbirth educator. Um, And she took those classes in preparation for her first baby. And as soon as she took them, she knew that this is what she wanted to do, even if it took her a few years to get back to it. And now she is the proud owner of Empowered Birth Series. And we're going to tell you all throughout the show the links of how you can get in touch with her. But she is so kind that she is actually going to go into the different parts of her series that she teaches. So we're going to cover all kinds of amazing things like rehearsing labor and the stages of labor and how to have really meaningful conversations with your OB around hot subjects like induction. Um, So I am super excited. Without further ado, hello, Dawn. How are you? Hello. I'm good. I'm so happy to be on with you. I'm happy to have you. When I saw that you had changed careers because she has moved from marketing person, social media guru extraordinaire into her life bliss. When I saw this on social media, I was like, oh my gosh, she's doing it. She's finally doing it. (laughs) So I tracked her down and here she is. Love it. Yes. It's been a beautiful journey to arrive here. Yeah. And so just tell our listeners a little bit of how you got here because I do feel like it's just so authentic and organic and what a lot of women go through trying to Uh, find their bliss as moms and find that balance in between work and and what they really want to do and being a mom and a wife. Yes. Oh, my goodness. So like you said, um, I knew, yes, when I was pregnant with my daughter and I sat in my own birth education classes um, and I watched the teacher at the front of the room, I thought, gosh, you know, that is where I want to be. I was so empowered by the information that I was being given obviously being a first time mom and not knowing what lied ahead and how evidence based the info was but also how just meaningful a conversation was in you know teaching me to know that I could trust myself and my body and my baby and my husband you know to move through the labor process Um, so it certainly sat in the back of my mind for a few years. And, um, when I had my daughter, I knew that corporate America was not my gig anymore. Just something went off and I just did not, just didn't fit there anymore for me. So I was lucky enough to be able to work from home, um, in a couple different marketing type capacities. Um, I did agency life for about a year, which was a hustle, um, and didn't love that at all. Always kind of had it in the back of my mind that, I really wanted to pursue birth work. Um, And then it was really interesting. The opportunity to take the training was I actually helped to market um, the teacher training that I took part in. And it was during that training that I realized how much of my own, I think, guilt and self-doubt and judgment I had around both of my birth experiences. I had 
beautiful water births with both my babies, but both ended up with a complication and a transfer to the hospital. And that was devastating. And even though, you know, I had sort of, you know, kind of convinced myself it was okay because I had my water births, there were just things that didn't go the way I wanted them to. And I suffered for a few years. And when I took that training and also heard the stories of some of the other women in the training with me that had had their own version of suffering and upset because of their birth experiences, I thought, you know, it's time. It is time for me to get out there, educate and inform and bring a conversation of empathy, compassion, radical acceptance, you know, and breathe that into what I teach so that hopefully anybody that's in my class, um, you know, gets the education that they need, but also gets that little nugget of, of knowing this, no, no matter how it goes, um, that they did their best and that there's, that it doesn't reflect on them as a mama, um, and that they can move forward, you know, into those first few, into the first experience of being a mom with a little bit more love and space for themselves than, you know, what I was privy to, um, that's definitely where my heart is at for sure. Thank you for sharing that because I think it's it's an experience that so many women have and they don't talk about. Mm-hmm. Like it's almost like you get a gold star if you had a natural birth, you know, and you're shamed if you didn't or you had to have some kind of intervention and you don't speak about it and it's traumatizing because we are kind of this society of women of like I can do it all and I can do it perfectly. <laughs> and it's difficult when it doesn't go the way you think it should go, right? Exactly. Exactly. I always say there are no trophies for doing it naturally and there are no failures for those that don't. And that is 100% the truth. You know, it goes how it is supposed to, right? And, you know, we can do things, right, as we inform ourselves and educate ourselves to hopefully give, you know, as much opportunity for it to go the way, the way we would like it to, you know, um, that possibility. So, you know, you you had your healing that came about years later after you did your birth education training. Mm-hmm. And I know that a lot of women will come back to me like they've, you know, they've been patients to to get pregnant and, you know, sometimes they come in afterwards and we we kind of unpack their birth. Mm-hmm. And we go through any like false beliefs that might be kind of starting to grow and we nip those in the bud, but do you have any suggestions for somebody that's listening right now and is like you know, kind of shaken by the birth that they've had or worried um, about what they can do post-birth to if it doesn't go like they think it should? Well, the first thing I would definitely, you know, say or want to do, of course, is, you know, my, the first thing that always comes to mind is I always want to hug them. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> first and foremost, give themselves a big, gigantic hug. Um, and, you know... I think for I think not hiding or not um, yeah not hiding behind our story or not you know giving voice and space to our story I think when we do sit in the shame that I think comes up for us you know in that it didn't go well and how maybe we equate that to that we should have done something different or could have some, done something different or it means something about our ability as a woman or a mom is to first and foremost you know um, not have that be your conversation you know um, it doesn't reflect on on us it's it's not in our control in a lot of ways right and and So I think first and foremost, you know, being able to really, you know, be as compassionate and empathetic with yourself for the experience that you've had and to consider the possibility of being courageous and sharing it. There are many circles of women that get together. And in fact, this is something that I'm thinking about doing as well, um, is getting, you know, some of the women from my class together as a mom's group to share and talk and, you know, express, obviously, I'm hoping to empower, you know, women as much as possible through my classes. But again, how we react to what happened, I can't control that, right? So being in group and being willing to share and speak to what happened, because it somewhat normalizes it, it has you realize that there are other women that are going through the same kind of experience as you are, Um, And that you're not alone, you know, and that my hope would be that however it it went, you know, is a catalyst for something 
um, to be different in the future. You know, if another baby is in your future and you're thinking, but you're terrified because you don't want it to go the way it went, you know, I think there's many different, um, like I said, circles of support. And then there's also possibly some opportunities to maybe learn new things that maybe you didn't know going into your first birth, you know? Um, but I think that radical self-acceptance and love is the first place to start. I love that. And I, and I love your shared belief with me about how much mindfulness has to do with the process of having an empowered birth. And I think that that's something that's really easy to forget. Like I see a lot of my moms that practice a lot of meditation to get pregnant and through the birth, you know, breathing exercises. And then, and then it's like they have this baby and they're like, wait, what meditation, what breath, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, what present moment, <laughs> right? Because you're so frazzled. And I think that's when the shame creeps up on you, right? That, that, that ego voice of replay that's telling you all the things you did wrong instead of the amazing thing that's right in front of you, this baby that you got here safe and sound, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Trying not to allow that to, that shame to rob you of those first precious months or even years, you know, like I said, I, there's just, there's no, it it happens, but I think there's an opportunity to just, you know, set that aside. Right. And just accept, forgive, know that we did the best we could and, you know, be with our, our families, you know, in a way that has us not hiding from how it all started. Yeah. Being present with your baby is a great way to to practice mindfulness, right? And <laughs> to, to block those thoughts out. That's but, um, you know, clearly there are a lot of women that suffer. We would not be doing an episode on this and kind of starting backwards. This is not where we intended to start, <laughs> but it is really important. It does happen to so many women. So that's why, um, you know, this is right out of the gates why we're talking about that. So let's let's back up into reverse, like how we planned it. What what do you feel? Can you explain what an empowered birth feels like, and that there is such a thing to somebody that's listening right now? Yes, um, and I loved this question. Um, this and thinking about this, you know, because what here's what I know, and here's what we know is that we cannot program and or predict how labor is going to go. I mean, we just can't. We can have a sense for, we know what the phases look like and what the typical physical and emotional symptoms, you know, are. And we'll talk a little bit about that. But again, every woman is different. Um, But what we can control, right, is our, our ability to be with what's happening. And this relates to all areas of life, right? Things are going to happen, Um, but, and, and we can't control that, but we can certainly control how we react and respond to it and being pregnant and labor and being a a mom and a parent is like (laughs) fertile grounds for this lesson and opportunity. So, you know, right. I mean, there's like no other on the court experience. I think that's like more wrought with opportunity for this than all of this. Um, so yes. So, you know, when thinking about an empowered birth, you know, I say it's it's really knowing, getting the research, understanding what lies ahead, knowing what's happening in your body, um, knowing some of the, the key tools to coping with labor, which again, we'll talk a little bit about, and educating yourself, not just in terms of how you want your labor to go. I do think first and foremost, visualizing, having a sense for, you know, what you see your your birth experience looking like, um, knowing that you're phenomenally capable of it, bringing that kind of mindful and intention to it, but without attachment, right? Because again, that's where the upset yes. comes from. So what I think right. I do in my classes that makes my classes so impactful and so meaningful and allows for an empowered birth experience is that we talk about all of that. And we talk about what it looks like if an intervention becomes part of the equation. We also talk about epidurals. The last thing I want to have happen is for a mom to labor and all of a sudden something shifts and what becomes the next thing to do is an intervention or an epidural. And they are like in that moment, oh my God, I failed. This is awful. This is not how I want it to go. No, some of that stuff may still be there, but by being knowledgeable about what their options are, what their choices are, and even prior to labor, right, in conversation with their OB, you know, and having these kinds of meaningful dialogues has moms feel as though they're in the driver's seat for what they can control, right? And then as it plays out, 
then they're set up, right? There isn't this shock experience or this, you know, or it lessens the shock. If, if something changes, again, it's not about knowing exactly how it's going to go, but it's about knowing as much as you can and facing it head on in a way that has you feel like you're in control and you're not being told what to do or when to do it, you know, and that you can navigate some of these conversations with way more power. Right. And I, I think what you said about putting your focus on what you want it to be like, but not being attached to the outcome is so important because, you know, I have women struggling with fertility and even when they get pregnant in those first few weeks, if it's been a rocky start, I they'll tell me like they can't connect with their baby. They can't picture themselves pregnant. They just won't let themselves because they're so scared of losing it. And I, and I have to kind of break that shell of, no, this is really important to try and visualize this. It doesn't mean that that's going to happen exactly in the way that you visualize it or even this time, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but that it's, it's an important part of having some sense of control that you are in fact moving your life in the direction that you want it to go. And, and being able to, like you said, be educated about these things and have intelligent conversations and observe your reactions around the time of when things are changing in a labor and delivery room is so important so that you you don't lose the moment and that you can fully surrender because you you have to surrender for the birth to, to go well, right? <laughs> and so there's this weird dynamic of wanting to be able to con- to feel like you have control over certain parts, yet surrendering through the process. And that's such a difficult thing to for most of us to conceptualize, right? <laughs> yeah. And that's everywhere. You know, like I, I said, it's not just related to pregnancy, right? I mean, that's that's everywhere in life. So, but it's so critical, right? You know, to do that during your pregnancy and labor so that your body is as relaxed as possible you know, and you can meet what lies ahead with as much presence as possible to help it, you know, progress as as it's meant to. Um, The mind-body connection in general is, you know, is critical to how we live our lives and finding peace amidst the chaos. But it's, it's even more critical in terms of how all systems are firing, you know, during labor. So, it's it's a pretty amazing opportunity and challenge to you know to experience for sure. Right, and so the more that you have practiced that mind body connection, the easier it is to when you experience discomfort or hear something frightening to to not automatically react into fight or flight. Right, to be able to just say, oh, isn't that interesting? That that nurse is conferring with that doctor over in that corner about me, as if I'm not here. Right, <laughs> instead of. Totally losing it. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Okay. So now we, we kind of have an idea about your, your mission and the concepts behind Empower Birth. So hopefully our listeners can explain this to their partners if they want to, um, if they're interested in taking some of these classes. But you have a five-part mm-hmm. series and each class is two hours long and I, I could, you know, try and get you on here. I tried to get her on for, you know, every part, right? So, but that would be giving away the whole class, but she's, we're going to go over all five parts here and we're going to cover the first couple today. So what's the first part of the series? Sure. So our, my first um, class is breath and movement, two, which are the two keys to, to an empowered labor and birth. And in this, are you, are you teaching them and just the moms? Are you teaching the labor partners too, like practical techniques to, to use their breath or? Yeah. Um, So really we've all heard, of course, that breathing during labor is important. And I think most of us, when we think about breath, we probably, you know, at some point I've heard of Lamaze and go back to the he, he, who, who, you know, and whatever else we've seen. Yeah, I totally picture my mom doing that. Right? <laughs> um, well, that was the first imprint, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Where they occur with my sister. Even though I've been to countless births since, I still picture her, you know, making the funny noises. Totally, right? And, you know, BT dubs, most of us find that silly when we see it in a movie. So imagine, you know, like what it really is like to practice breath in a way that's, you know, meant to move us through the intensity of labor. I mean, some of us may have done some mindfulness techniques and some breathing, but, you know, 
I'm, I'm teaching breath and movement, you know, as um, the keys to labor, because it is because again, breath is all about, you know, that mind body connection. And in, <clears throat> in labor, if our breath is calm, um, it's, it's sending signals to the body that all is well, if our breath is, you know, we're panicky, we're breathing too, um, too fast, if we're I call it bare breath versus calm breath. Okay, so if we're if we're bringing bare breath to um, labor, imagine what your breath is like if a bear is chasing you. Of course, it's going to be fast. Uh, you might even hold it because you're terrified, right? Which sends signals to the body, "Hey, right. we're in fight or flight." And then it also sends all those stress hormones. Well, we don't want those stress hormones present in labor because those get in the way of the hormones that we do want flowing to help us in labor. Those hormones, when we're breathing calmly during labor, are, um, the, again, the breath is telling the body, oh, we're good. Okay, great. And it helps to release oxytocin, which is what helps to contract the uterus. It, it also helps tell the body to send endorphins, which is our natural, our body's natural pain um, reliever, essentially. So endorphins plus oxytocin are those two key things to make sure that labor is moving and grooving. So we want to be as calm as possible. And not only just from the physical standpoint, but again, this the mindfulness. If we can let ourselves know and our minds can count on that we are going to bring breath to what's happening and all is well, then again, we're keeping that connection to the mindfulness that says, I'm moving through this labor perfectly. My baby knows what he or she needs to do. My body knows what he, what I, what it needs to do. We're good. I mean, it really is like the magic of, of where it all starts. Yes. This is, this is why I'm so big on meditation, ladies, is starting it beforehand because it's really hard to learn something when you're uncomfortable in labor for the first time. Right. So if you've got a good foundation of this, it can really help. Um, and it's like like Don's saying, it's one less thing that your nervous system has to to keep track of if it knows like, OK, the breath is steady. I've got this. And and not only is how you're breathing sending a message to your body, but and I was trying to explain this. I actually had a patient yesterday. She was in early labor, like she was only five minutes apart, very, very early. And she was like, no, I'm coming. She, she came to acupuncture and she was like, no, I need, I, I need this before I start. I need to be calm. And she was like kind of holding her breath a little bit on the out breath. And I was ex trying to explain to her, like, don't be afraid yes. to make noise on that out breath, like deep yes. tonal sounds. And I was like, that's moving your baby down, you know, that, that low, you know, yeah. Um, sound that we don't we want to we feel silly when we're making but the other thing that it's doing is it's it's actually slightly comforting to your partner and to the the nurses around you are listening for that noise to, to be like oh she's tolerating the discomfort she's working with her body and the breath versus if you've ever heard somebody in labor that's like super high pitched I'm not going to do that but that <laughs> where you're like you hurt for them because you can hear it, <laughs> that makes your medical team want to offer you intervention sooner. Yes. Right? I love that. Do you know, I don't know that I've, I've really ever kind of spoken it in that context, but yes, I love that because I always talk about staying low and yes, we practice this because listen, in my class, you're in a room with couples you've never met before. You're sitting next to them and I'm saying, Hey guys, let's practice some breath. Then let's practice some breath with some sound. It is a little nerve wracking, okay? But if we can master that kind of uncomfortability in that moment and give ourselves permission to make those kinds of sounds, that is preparation for being potentially in you know a labor and delivery room with a bunch of people around you. But that staying low and and reminding the dads to remind mom to stay low if she goes high, where it's that ooh right, which can sometimes go higher. The shoulders are hunched. We're, ugh. Yes, it totally signals to the staff in a medical environment that mom isn't doing well. And their job, that's just what their job is, right? They can offer things that can help with that. But again, if we don't have to go there, all the better for mom and for baby. So I, I love that context. That's so lovely. I'm going to steal it. <laughs> uh, no, please. This is what it's all about, right? If we can just educate... I it's crazy to me to think that, you know, a hundred years ago, even 
I mean, yes, birth was very different. Like men weren't even allowed near the room as much as 150 years ago on most continents on this planet. <laughs> it was a sacred thing that took place, right? <laughs> um, it was not medicalized and you just had the wisdom of your matriarchs, right? Of who was in your circle and your midwives to, to get you through it, which in a lot of ways I think is a calmer environment. Um, you know, and, and now we fast forward and find ourselves in very different circumstances, which is great, but we can talk about it, right? We can educate people and we can we can take some of this shame away and the, the, the mystery about what's going to happen by yes. educating everybody. So tell your friends. Yes. <laughs> right? I guarantee if you're listening to this, you're thinking of somebody that needs to listen to this, right? That needs to hear it. So please right. send it on. Okay. So your second class is about letting go of labor, right? Yes. So this one... I love this one. This is where we get um, real juicy in terms of content. And we talk about stage one labor, um, mostly in class two. And this is where I find stage one is um, where mom is dilating from zero to 10 centimeters. Um, Stage two is pushing. And then stage three is the placenta being birthed. So I really focus specifically on um, stage one labor with my moms and dads in this class. And I find that this one is just so impactful for both mom and dad, because again, we're talking about some physical and emotional symptoms that both moms and dads can can identify and remember that, oh, now, you know, this is happening. So we must kind of be moving into this, you know, phase of stage one labor. Um, And it really empowers the dads. I see the dads taking copious notes, right? Because, you know, they just want to be able to know and know what to expect. Um, And so we really, we cover that in depth, which helps to take the mystery, I think, out of, you know, what's, what's really happening in the body. Um, and again, gives us something to kind of grab onto. Again, every woman's different, but we, for the most part, moving through these these um, phases, it's there's some pretty common things that happen both emotionally and physically for us. Um, and then, really lovely focus in this class, you know, is that I, I separate the moms and the dads, and I have the dads do an exercise that allows them to brainstorm some different ways that they can support mom in labor. So they get to go and kind of be together and and talk and have that time. And then with the moms, I have moms in a space by ourselves to bring anything up that maybe they would like to bring up, you know, kind of without their partners in the room. So usually it starts with that. But then we just do some really sweet movement there as well that moms can use, um, can do towards the end of their pregnancy as well as in labor that are designed to bring some um, mindfulness to the body movement, some comfort in listening to their bodies, because that's really, you know, what we need to do in labor. Um, And gives that gives, um, gives them some practical tips for how they can move to help the baby stay in the optimal fetal position. Um, So class two, I mean, I love all my classes, but class two is definitely really impactful. Yeah. And I, such an important thing, because I can tell you, almost every woman, like even if she's learned about these things, she wants to measure her progress. And she's like, I almost always get asked like, hasn't it been enough time? And aren't I out of early labor yet? Like how, how much time should I be in active labor? (laughs) Right. And I think it's so important of getting away from that because it's the, you know, Western medicine definitely wants to put you on a timer right? Especially if your water broke. Oh, great. You have 23 hours, which, you know, thankfully we're getting away from that. But I think it's really important to empower the mom to get away from that too and to use other signs besides time because it's so different for everybody. You really can't use It's so true. You know, I I find it hilarious. You know, Lamaz says like when you talk about the length of each of the phases, Lamaz says that phase one, so early labor, um, is two thirds of the total time of the of labor, and I'm thinking, well, um, there is no algebraic equation to be able to back into that number, right? Because you know, we don't, right? It's retroactive, exactly. <laughs> it's not when you're in it, so it's yeah. I tell my moms all the time, you know, even even tracking, you know, how dilated you are, it's such 
oh, it's such an opportunity to get derailed, you know, where you think for sure you should be, should be farther along. And, you know, if you get checked and you're only at five, let's say only at five, it's like, no, you're at five, you know, you're exactly where your body is supposed to be. But there's this, yeah, there's just this conversation around, well, it's, it should be different or it's not going exactly as it, how it's supposed to. And I find that, you know, moms that can give themselves permission to focus more on, yeah, those emotional sim- symptoms or the physical symptoms, you know, can they talk through a contraction or can they not, you know, are the contractions back to back? I mean, those are the things that, you know, signal, hey, we are moving and grooving here, right? Versus I'm only at six, you know? Um, yeah. And I, you know, it's, I, I understand because I, I am guilty of trying to measure my progress in external yes. things all the time. And, you know, when you're tired and you're uncomfortable, like you do, you just want somebody to check me and tell you like, gold star, you're at nine, right? <laughs> and it can't, I've seen it be really defeating where it's like, oh, I'm only at five. And they, it's like, what? You Like you're, you're at five in four hours. Like, this is amazing. Do you know you're like teetering at the top of the mountain and it's going to go much faster now? It's like kind of downhill after you get to five for most women. <laughs> And they totally lose sight of that again. They think they're doing something wrong. So, you know, resist that urge unless that's a bargaining thing for yes. an intervention, right? 100%. It's got a time and a place, right? In terms of where that makes sense, you know, from how labor is progressing and yeah, how ready mom may be, you know, for an intervention. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's there for a reason. Knowing, you know, where a mom's at is important. But I, I think it's also, imp- I, I this is something I talk to my moms about too. You know, if you know that you're driven by results, you know, and that we're all somewhat type A these days, right? Um, you know, give yourself permission to consider what it would look like to not necessarily have that information. You know, if, if, you're, if your OB needs to check you, but maybe you don't necessarily want to know exactly what that you know, number is, have that conversation with them. Give yourself permission to really be in the moment versus attached to something. Yeah. What a novel concept, right? Yes. <laughs> and can we, can we just mention too, that having the same person check you because it's highly subjective is important. And maybe, maybe asking for someone other than a first time resident who's only felt a cervix twice, if it's a really important check, like, you know, if that's going to determine intervention or not, that you do, you do have the ability to ask for somebody different to check you, love especially, or if it was really uncomfortable the last time. Yes. Love that. You know, and I think this, this is also where, you know, dads really to their comfort level, right. And having these kinds of conversations ahead, but where dads can really advocate, you know, um, for mom. You know, if mom feels like something that didn't feel right or she prefers something else, you know, give dad permission to speak on behalf of her and say, you know, we would really like someone else this time. I mean, there's there's so much opportunity, especially in a hospital setting, you know, for everybody to be on the same page about what their goals and desires are, you know, and, and for dad to be able to step in when necessary so that mom doesn't, mom can surrender, you know, mom can be right, right where she's at and not have to really worry about managing that conversation as well. Yeah. She doesn't have to do anything. Yeah. She doesn't have to do anything. Right. And that's a great, mm-hmm. that's a great way for dads to know that they're, you know, they're in in the zone and part of the process and, you know, be that papa bear, right? I've had several dads that, you know, just felt empowered. Like I was able to step up and say, "Uh uh-uh, I don't think so. Or tell me why, you know, on behalf of their wife, you know, as a, as a direct result of being in my classes. Um, So that's, that's a beautiful thing. Right. Remember, ladies, if you're listening and you listen to masculine and feminine energies, men like to do. And yes, you you are the big doer. You are having the baby. But if you can empower them through education and let them shine, you're going to see a totally different husband, partner, dad in that moment. Like, you know, they they've never done this either most of the time. Right. (laughs) Or if they did it once before and it didn't go well, um, they need tools, too. That's right. And it gives me a goosebumps and actually makes me, you know, <laughs> kind of it makes me want to cry because it is so beautiful to be able to meet, you know, meet men where they're at, not try to make them understand and or fit into some model of something, but to say, you know, to give them the opportunity to shine and step in and learn and know that they also are phenomenally capable. 
they've never done this before, like you said, for the most part. So let's give them what they need. Let's let them understand the process. Let's allow them to be that papa bear, right? And to be for what works for each person, right? But that in and of itself, they then feel as though they were an active participant in the labor as well, because this is something that they will never forget. Not just that mama is having that baby, but this is their labor experience too. Um, and you know, there's an awesome opportunity for them to be as empowered in this this process as as possible. You know, equally as empowered. Yeah, and it's we we forget that their dad's having the baby too, and they all have a different level of engagement that they want. And you know, you know, sometimes you do need a doula, right? Sometimes dad will tell you right out of the gates, like, no, no, I'm not comfortable with that. Um, yeah, and great, fine. You're, you both interview a doula and somebody that you are super interested and comfortable with sharing that very intimate experience with, right? You both have to be on that same page. But if there's any wobble, then this is the opportunity to say, I want you to be my doula, but I want you to feel empowered. So you have to come to these classes and learn with me, right? Yes. All right. So, and you know, just one more thing on those stages. I feel like if you can be in the moment and really surrendering and allowing yourself and not thinking about what other people think. Like, oh, I don't want to say that. I don't want to offend the doctor or offend my husband. You are blocking all of those emotional cues to let everybody else, including yourself, know what stage you're in. Like in transition where you freak out and you accidentally call somebody an (laughs) a-hole. That lets us know. Like, oh, we should check her. The baby is probably right there, (laughs) right? Totally. I love that. I tell <laughs> my moms and dads, I said, listen, all bets are off. Okay. She may, mama may, you know, swear where you have never heard her swear before, or, you know, she may get spicy. Okay. But listen, that is, that is part of the process. And we do not want to resist any of this. Do not take anything personally. Right. Like, right. Yes. This is just what needs to happen to move things along. You know, I watch birth videos and I watch moms, you know, cry or or speak their fears, right? And even my own personal experience, I remember thinking pushing for me was so odd for me you know I'm a first-time mom I've never pushed and I'm sitting in the tub and I'm like what is this and literally the thing that came up was you know is is this going the way it's supposed to like I asked that question I'm like like, I don't know Is, is this you know and bless my husband's heart you know he was so funny he said babe you know Mary just hopped into her hazmat suit like I think this is happening right and like the perfect moment of humor and like but but for me to be able to speak my my fear and then him to meet me there with like just like the most authentic silly um conversation was so freeing right like it just it it allowed things to continue so I do I say that to my moms don't you know just let it rip this is visceral you know there's nothing if you're controlling how you're being in labor, you're not actually being present, right? So just let right. it, let it go, you know, let it go. And chances are you're not going to remember it. Somebody else is going to relay this to you in a very humorous, loving way <laughs> later when you ask, like, why don't I remember the last few hours of my birth? <laughs> There's really good scientific reasons for that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Totally. (laughs) One being that you would never have another child more than likely. And we'll talk about that when we talk about the fourth trimester next class, right? (laughs) Yes, exactly. Love that. Yeah, your brain has an accidental amnesia that's beautiful. But, you know, and this is where it comes back to, to the very beginning about talking about having a supportive circle afterwards to process that. When your subconscious starts letting little pieces of the birth out as it feels like you can handle it. Um, to process and pack that away. So um, there's there's a really cool magic in your brain that's happening during birth and actually leading up. You know, you're saving nine nine months worth of endorphins for natural pain relief for birth. Yes, you're saving them in your brain, which is yeah. so cool. Okay, so I think we're we have time for the the third stage, and then next week we'll come back and talk about. My favorite, my favorite, because your fourth class is all about placentas. <laughs> I love how much you love that beautiful. I, I'm like, in my class, I'm like, this 
beautiful organ. And I'm like, I'm saying this out loud, right? Like I'm calling the placenta this beautiful, brilliant organ. And my class is like, she really loves placentas. I'm like, yes, I do. Yeah. Ew. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, we have. I got to touch one a year ago, and you would have thought that it was like I had won the lottery or something for the next two weeks. I wanted to tell everybody about it, how cool it was. Oh, oh, it's All right, awesome. so I'm going to stop talking about that, or I'm going to I'm going to ruin the whole show. Okay, um, and then we'll talk about the fourth trimester. But last on the docket today, um, your third class is all about uh, learning labor positions, and you guys actually practice like a dress rehearsal labor, right? So we do, we do. I was um, thinking about how much I wanted to share about it because I don't want to necessarily give away like my secret sauce of how we do that, right? Um, But here is what I want to say about it. So again, and I love, and it's so funny because as an instructor, you know, you want to give your, I want to give my students everything, right? I just so want to give them everything. And so I, of course, I'm constantly setting my own attachments and expectations aside, right? Based on every class. But this one especially. So, you know, in class two, like I said, so we'll do some movement with moms there. But in class three, when we're learning labor positions and we're practicing the labor rehearsal, we are, I am going through many different um, labor positions and I am actually having my moms and dads get up and practice them. So we're standing in, you know, ways that maybe we wouldn't have, you know, thought that we would for labor. I mean, one of the ones that I love that I don't think many people think of is we'll practice dancer's pose, which is literally like you're dancing with your husband and, you know, not like super uncommon, but you're, you're standing and you're holding onto your hubby and you're giving yourself permission to be able to lean into him and trust that in that moment, you know, he's got you, right? So you're, you're kind of cultivating this, this, new connection, right? With this beautiful baby in in your belly there. Right. And so, you know, moms, it's funny to watch moms and dads, like they probably, maybe they haven't danced for a little while. Where did, where does dad put his hands on mom's beautiful body, right? With this big old belly in between them. And um, so it kind of like takes the, the anxiety out of it. Right. Or the, this feels weird. I haven't ever done this before and gives them an opportunity to be together in these new ways, right? And to to um, learn these different positions that they can pay attention to. That one felt really good, or I don't know that I would like that one, or this one's kind of weird. You know, we always talk. I always say, don't rule them out, right? Listen right now about what feels good, and then trust that during labor you'll know, you know, what does feel good, and you'll have some positions to kind of, you know, fall back on. When it comes to the labor rehearsal, I quiet the room. I bring the lights down. We do a little bit of breath work and some kind of some mindfulness, you know, prior to diving into the rehearsal. And then we simulate moving through contractions and we practice moving into a a position, a new one. You know, some of the contractions, I time them for 30 seconds and some I go for a minute 15, right? So that we're really looking at the different kinds of, of contractions and links that we could have during a labor. And you'll watch the couples laugh and giggle. Or you'll watch some of them be really, really serious about it and wanting to practice their breath. Um, and it allows for like some of that, just kind of that awkwardness that we probably all, all know we may have, right? As we lead up to this thing we've done before. And it gives us permission to sort of move through that and see what emotions come up and what concerns or fears. And then we talk a little bit about that because giving voice to them in that space creates a, a little bit of practice to give voice to them when we get to the real deal, right? Um, and some groups are, are laugh more and other groups are more serious. And so it's just beautiful to navigate like the authenticity of the moment and, and be able to bring that awareness so that they can bring that same kind of awareness to labor when it's go time. It's awesome. Oh, I, yeah. You think you don't need to practice, but it al- it opens the door for you guys to get on the same page about what you m- may want and may That's not want, right? Um, That's right. Which is huge if you've never done it before or you did it before. Maybe you want it to go differently and you need to have that gateway for a conversation about that. Yes. Yes. In a place that doesn't hurt anybody's feelings. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, I remember that being my own experience in my own class was, you know, speaking to Greg about what I, you know, it's a certain way, like we practice massage, which we do in my classes too. You know, we do a kind of a touch exercise 
And that gives the moms, the dads an opportunity to kind of massage and, and, and be with mom and then moms to say, Oh, I liked it when you did this. I didn't like it when you did this, right? Like it creates that open dialogue that's safe. Um, that again, you know, sets the stage for the opportunity to do that, you know, for the rest of the pregnancy and in labor. Um, you know, this is a growth opportunity for, for you and your, you know, for dads and moms, right. For you to connect with your husband in a new way. You've never been pregnant together before. So, you know, why not cultivate that new connection, you know, as expecting parents? I think, I think that's just a really beautiful, um, part of what we cover, you know, and it's obviously my hope that my students take that outside the classroom and continue to bring that kind of mindful conversation, you know, to the rest of their pregnancy and to labor. Yeah. And to parenting those first few weeks. Cause yeah, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I try and explain that because, you know, when I teach, sometimes I'll teach partners, you know, acupressure again. So the man feels like they're doing something during labor and um, they can, you know, if you're hooked up to monitors, they can watch and see what certain points do. And what, like you're saying with the movements, some movements may feel terrible when you're practicing, but you get into this place in labor where you're like, yes, yes, that point or that movement or that massage, that's all I want. And then you also have to be able to express yourself and say, no, that just changed. Please stop, (laughs) right? Because that happens too. And some women are so like, they've been conditioned to not use their voice or to not speak up for themselves. And I put it as it's not just you anymore. It's learning to speak up for your child, right? And if your child was right in front of you and somebody was doing something that they didn't like, mama bear would come slashing out. So why doesn't she come out for you, right? To say, no, I don't like that. Or I do like that To And, and like you're saying, you know, if you can do that for half of a pregnancy, 20 weeks is, it's a fair amount of time of building communication so that when that baby does come, and you're both sleep deprived and hangry and confused <laughs> about like, are we doing this right? Are they actually getting milk? What's happening? You know, you can you can speak to one another in a way that is tactful and cuts right to the point without either one of you taking it personally. One hundred percent, exactly. This is like, it's the you know, it's the breeding ground right for these future powerful connections. Um, and if we can look at, you know, our pregnancy experience like that, you know, and even our labor experience like that, I think it does not force us to, but it certainly creates a, a, a unique and empowering context for that kind of mindfulness um, because it really sets the stage, you know, for some pretty powerful beginnings. Yeah. And again, it's not just about us. It's your babies are listening while they're in womb. And then from day one, they're watching everything, trying to figure out how the world works and laying down all these pathways in their brain, especially from, you know, something very different happening age one to four or five from than what happens five to 15. But they're watching you and your partner for the cues on how love works, how communication works, right? And I'm convinced that that's why human gestation is so, so long. (laughs) Not only to go from this little speck, <laughs> but it's it's to practice <laughs> what to do Thank when the God, baby comes right? out. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Oh my gosh, I might have argued that you know nine months wasn't long enough, right? In the past, right. but hey, <laughs> <laughs> we're yes. all figuring it out, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so we've talked about the breath and movement and the phases of labor, which I'm actually going to make a little short PDF short. So kind of like a cheat sheet, because again, this is not, you can't put everything in boxes, but you know, this is something that you can download and put on your partner's phone during birth and that they can feel like they have information and they don't feel like they have to memorize all of this stuff that might not necessarily be where their brain is at. Right. Yes. Um, And then, and we've talked about using your voice to tell when positions Mm -hmm. and techniques are good and not good. Um, Mm -hmm. And I want to talk a little bit about intervention um, because I feel like I'm big on knowledge, obviously, and storytelling and statistics. That's why I do this. But do you think that these classes could possibly cut down on the rate of intervention in in a hospital? And if so, why? Yeah. So, you know, 
here's what I'll say about that is that I don't I don't know that I can say with any sort of statistical information at this point that these classes can cut down on the rate of intervention. Um, what I because again we just cannot control how labor goes um, by any means. But what I can tell you is that, you know, for any of my students where, you know, interventions became part of the equation, every single one of them has said that they felt in charge of those choices. They felt informed, empowered, and they weren't as scared as they think, you know, they, they really weren't scared. Or if they were scared, they were less scared about them because of what they, because they knew how to have, you know, the conversation or what to expect. What I know is that, you know, where you're laboring makes a huge difference in terms of the quote unquote conversation that you're in. And I think with the large majority of women today laboring still in hospitals, you know, versus a birth center or even at home, the mindfulness piece um, and the ability to really, really take on breath and movement, you know, as your two keys um, to labor or you know, mantras or music or whatever, you know, you think is going to keep you in that labor zone is critical. Because again, when you're in a hospital, you're in a medical conversation, you're in a medical environment, you know, that the business of being in a hospital is doing, it's making sure that, and some hospitals are different than others. Some are a little bit more baby friendly. We know this than others. Um, but still, it's a medical environment. So to your point where you said, you know, if mom starts to ooh, get high and start to demonstrate that she's having a hard time coping, you know, their first instinct, because it's their job, is to offer something that can help with the pain. And for the most part, that's going to be some sort of, you know, intervention. Maybe maybe there's some nitrous oxide as an option that's that's used today. But again, know that there's, you know, it's more of an intervention type conversation. So I think that's the thing, you know, for me that has been just so incredible in terms of my own growth, because again, my births were both at birth centers. There was no conversation for an epidural. There was no conversation for other, you know, pain relief options other than my breath and my movement and my entire pregnancy. That is just what I focused on because I knew that that was the setting I was going to be in. Again, bringing that kind of commitment to those, you know, to breath and movement um, and coping naturally with the intensity of labor in a, in a medical environment is, I think it's critical, you know, to being able to give moms um, the opportunity to navigate that, you know, and, and stay in as natural, you know, an experience as possible. So um, that's what I'm passionate about. You know, let's, let's give women, if we're, if we're birthing in hospitals, you know, the opportunity to walk in there and say, I've got this, you know, um, and if an intervention or something changes, then again, they know what to expect. Um, but that mindset and that willingness to really trust yourself and your body and your innate ability to have this baby, you know, and to be able to give yourself permission to be in the labor zone and as undistracted as possible by, you know, and for however long it takes. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And to not feel rushed, you know, not to feel like you're on the clock. Um, you know, that's the key, I think, right, to creating as, as much of a possibility for few interventions as possible. Yeah. And I, I do think that there's a difference between mindset, like not even allowing those seeds of doubt. Like I was having a conversation with a colleague in we were talking about fertility and how one of the, once you've had challenges, it's difficult because there's so many seeds of doubt every month, right? And you get your period. And, and I do think sometimes when you're going into um, a Western medical setting, there's a lot of doubt because you do feel out of control as to like, well, they might tell me I have to do this or say that this is the only way. And there's a difference between going in without a seated doubt and having pictured the natural labor versus closing off any possible interventions that could save your life and the baby's life, right? And so I think being educated about it, but then returning your attention back to the visualization of this is how my birth's going to go, my birth's going to go. And then if, God forbid, if it doesn't, 
you are educated, your partner's educated, and you can then have um, a very real, intelligent conversation with the doctor that's one-on-one instead of like this father archetype telling you what to do. You feel like there's this dialogue and then then you make the choice to then go through with that intervention because you feel comfortable with it. And then that's what empowers you. Like you, you feel like you were given a choice versus being told or baited by fear because you didn't know what your options were, right? And if you know what your options are, you can ask. <laughs> That's right. If you know how to speak the the dialogue, right, which is a lot of what we do in um, my class four is we're, we're talking about, you know, what those interventions look like and what those questions are to ask and what the options are. And I encourage my students to start to dialogue with their OBs, midwives about this early on so that they can get a sense for, you know, what those, what those things look like. You know, I had a, a mom that induction was, it was being talked about, you know, well, once you get to, and I think she actually was now that I think about it of advanced maternal age, once you get to 39, we were, you know, we're going to induce. And I said, well, okay, what, why don't you ask her, you know, well, what does that look like? What does your, first of all, why? Second of all, what does that induction plan look like? What do we start with? Do we start with a, you know, a Foley bulb? Do we start with Pitocin? Do we start with, you know, cert- what what does that look like? So that she could then have a sense for what their kind of protocol was and then armed with information that, you know, we had talked about with the implications when it's can, you know, can be used. She knew how to really discuss that with them in a way that disarmed her first and foremost from fear and, you know, feeling like she was going to be told what to do and actually have the doctor be able to show up in a way that had them both have a very productive conversation. You know, we don't want to go in with that, that kind of defensive type energy with our doctors. We don't want to, you know, we want to, we want to be comfortable. We want to be able to, we don't want to be in fear, right? And when we're defensive, obviously we got our little hackles up, right? We're like, mm that's resistance in the body that sends that kind of message to body and to baby. We don't want that. So the more, yes, we're educated and can dialogue as early on as possible, the better so that we're all on the same page, right? And you want everybody in your, that's present for your birth, whether that's your partner, your mother, your sister, your doula, you want them to have that same type of education and come from a place of this is a discussion not based in emotionality, because that's where everything goes sideways, right? Oh my God. <laughs> Even though, yes, this is a very emotional state. But if you've had this dialogue and your doctor actually knows you and, and can respect where you're coming from, like if you've brought them statistics of, hey, I understand that you might want to induce me because I'm over the age of 35 and you want to do that at week 39 because of calcification on the placenta, like you already show that you have you have read about That's it. That's right. Like you're not just saying, no, I'm not going to let you, right? And making them defensive because they don't want to feel that way either, believe it or not. You know, they, they want to have a copacetic, happy experience because, you know, they have to have nerves of steel to get your baby out yeah. safely. Yes. You know, whether that's a midwife or an OB. Um, and, and they want to feel comfortable with you. So the, the sooner you start having these conversations and, and letting them know that you know that you're deserving of that time with them and them making you feel comfortable for the, the 40 weeks leading up to it, the better birthing experience I think you have and the more trust you have of one another. And they're more likely to trust you if you need to plead with them about something of like why you don't want to go down a certain road, right? I completely agree because again, you're showing up, you know, with a commitment to dialogue because you've done some of the research versus just being a no, because I'm scared or no, because I don't want you to tell me, right. It's just, it's, it's, it's a different level of conversation for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, Absolutely. And you can start these conversations with something very, um, I don't know, that's not such a hot button, like minimal monitoring. If you fit that profile, right? Like if you haven't had any complications and you're about to week 20, you can start saying stuff like, hey, movement's really important to me. I get fidgety just waiting in this room for you. So what are my options in terms of being 
hooked up to a monitor. Can you write that in my chart? Can, can you physically write that so that when I get to the hospital and you're not there and I'm trying to have this conversation with my labor and delivery nurses, it's in your writing. Would you do that for me? And like right away, they know that you're trying to build a relationship with them. And then if you're not a candidate, it gives them an opportunity to tell you why and weeks to digest that that you're and get support that you need, that your birth may not look like what you had intended. And that's okay. Then we shift the focus to the child, right? Absolutely. I mean, having those conversations about movement, even about, you know, um, what is allowed in the room, like, hey, listen, I'd like to bring in some, you know, essential oils, or I would like to bring in, you know, a lot of hospital, you know, labor and delivery rooms have, you know, even the, the docks for you to put your iPods in. I mean, there's, you know, we've come a long way, but still like, you know, these are some of the things that I envision. Is there any reason that this wouldn't work? You know, I'd like to have the opportunity to push in a position other than on my back. Is that okay? If it's not, why? You know, what am I limited to? Like really being, you know, curious, right? About what some of those policies and protocols are. And if they differ from maybe what you envision, you know, getting clear about that as early on as possible um, so that there are no surprises, right? So that you can, right, an adjustment or there's just an acceptance that's necessary, but really, that's part of really being in the driver's seat, right? Being open and in the know and kind of creating this to go as you wish it to, right? I mean, that just gives me the goosebumps because it's just, I mean, there's then there's no, there aren't any surprises or there's no like, oh, I wish it would have gone and I wish I would have known, right? Right. There's no room to beat yourself up because you know you tried everything, right? right. Exactly. Exactly. And I think having these conversations really early, which you know, I know this goes back to like, oh, they don't have time or I don't want to seem like a pain in the butt. You are employing this doctor and his practice and this hospital to take care of you for 40 weeks and deliver your baby safely. And when you see that bill, you will understand what I mean by employing. Okay. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so I, I, I so say like, look at the first few weeks as interview process for both of you, right? So that, and you can switch. I've had I've had patients switch at the last minute. I mean, it's definitely not advisable, but you know, if something's not sitting right in your gut, like you have to listen to that, or you're always going to wonder. And if you're not having those conversations, you don't have the opportunity to understand that something's not right. Correct. And or if you know that knowingness is inside, and you don't give yourself permission to say, I think we've got to look at something else, or switch that again, that's that, that's, that's stewing inside, right? Which can take away from your ability to be present, you know, when you do get Mm -hmm. to labor. So it's such a lesson, lesson in giving yourself permission to, to follow the crumbs, to listen to that intuition. It's, it's practice in building that intuition that all of us have, but especially as moms, you know, we hone this intuition during our pregnancies. We know you know, we, there's just this sense that we know as we're connected to our babies and the, and as we become moms, you know, we learn their cries and we know something just seems off. Well, that's because they have an ear infection. I mean, this is all such perfect, you know, practice on the court for giving yourself permission to ask those questions and trust your gut and your guidance, you know, um, it's all okay. Yeah. And the sooner you can start this ladies, like I know that there is, there are so many of you out there that are going to find it difficult to connect in before 12 or 15 weeks, especially if you've had you know, a hard time getting pregnant or you know, repeated miscarriages. It's just like you can't almost allow yourself to connect. But that connection is what's honing your intuition for getting that baby out. It's also sending the message to your baby that it's a safe place and that they're already loved no matter what the outcome, because you're not attached to the outcome. You're going to love what's right then and there in that moment, right? Even if they only make it so many weeks. Yeah. And, you know, with that, I think, again, as, as we've been talking about, you know, if we're in fear, that's inside of us, it's stewing, it's, you know, disconnecting us from the present moment. And so, yeah, just being willing, even if that's something you're experienced, to give voice to it and even to speak to your baby about it. You know, to say, Mama's yeah. scared, you know, like I'm worried. And being willing to ditch that need to have it all under control because guess what? 
we are so going to battle that, like, <laughs> you know, for I think, <laughs> our entire human lives, but especially as moms, like, we so want to be the experts and we want to know that we've got it under control. And, you know, the some of the best moments are when we're just willing to be like, I do not got this, right? And like, give space to where we're at in our humanity and teach our children to be willing to be that, you know, vulnerable and authentic. So even in those precious first few weeks, if that's something that's there for you, giving yourself permission to be authentic and and give space to the fear and not judge it and doubt it because you've worked so hard to get pregnant and now you should be grateful, but you're terrified and dude, allow for all of it, right? And yeah, speak to that little nugget in there, you know, and and have that kind of conversation. Yeah, develop the rapport. Show me a sign, right? Your, your baby wants to connect with you, right? That's why they're here. They chose you. That's right. <laughs> So I could just talk to you all day, but we're going to save this for for two episodes okay? because there's a lot of meat in the last two. So uh, for this episode, uh, if you want to revisit the show notes, maybe you need to to reread it to understand what the Empowered Birth series is about, you can find out more information at ladypotions.com backslash episode 11. As I said, there'll be a nice downloadable PDF there that we're going to create about the phases of labor to improve power you and your partner. Uh, there's also going to be links of where to find Dawn in case you are in the Tampa Bay area and you want to do some of her classes. She has one coming up uh, at Thank You Mama here in St. Petersburg, which is an amazing facility. It's starting December 7th and the classes are two hours each and they're $45 a couple. Is that correct? Am I right? $45 a class. Yes. Okay. $45 a class. And do you have to come to all five or can you pick and choose what works for your schedule or what you think you really need if you can't make them all? Yeah. So I, of course, highly recommend the entire series, um, but you can definitely come to individual classes. And if there's ever a case where you, you know, register for a few and your schedule doesn't allow for, you know, maybe a couple of them, I do private sessions as well to get my students caught up and up to speed. Awesome. And yeah, so if you're listening to this and, you know, December 7th, 2017 is long gone, you can reach out to her uh, via email and that's empoweredbirthseries at gmail.com, right? Yep. That's it. And that link will be on the show notes as well at episode 11. And hopefully you will come back the following week when we talk about, actually, it'll probably be about two weeks after you listen to this because uh, the holidays are coming. <laughs> we need to be present with our families, right? <laughs> But trust me when I say placenta is really interesting, complex conversation. Uh, and it's important to have a lot of knowledge, um, especially if you're going to birth in a hospital, about how you can preserve this puppy. <laughs> I love it. All right. Thank you so much, Dawn. Oh, it's my pleasure. So happy to be here with you. And thank you to the listeners. We know your time is the most valuable thing. We hope we've given you some information that you can use right away. And if you have loved this, then please leave a review on iTunes because that is how other people find it. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to Fertile Minds Radio, hosted at www.ladyportions.com, where you'll find past episodes, show notes, and free meditations. If you've benefited from what you've heard, leave a comment or review so it makes it easier for others to find this valuable wisdom. Let's help elevate each other. Thanks for listening.